Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, I'm Liz Lose and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Do you know what satisfied me today, Andy? You should because you helped influence it. What? I, yes, yes. I was incredibly satisfied by how well hashtag Kirk Trap trended on social media last <laughs> Sunday and it was all inspired by you. Oh, that was great. Actually, that was I appreciate you shouting that out. Um, yeah, that was such a Kirk trap of a game. And then he ended up with with a moderately useful fantasy performance in another game in which he was absolutely miserable. Yeah, but he made you work for it. And that is the cousin's way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start looking at week seven's matchups. One big thing for each game. You all know by now, if you're listening, that we do more than one big thing, even though Brett would like us to do one, just one big thing. So we're going to get going. Uh, Pittsburgh at Tennessee. First things first, the biggest things, both literally and metaphorically, is a strength-on-strength matchup between Derrick Henry and the Steelers' defensive front. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, this is irresistible force, immovable object mm. stuff right here. This is this is one of the NFL's best run defenses. Pittsburgh uh, allows just 3.3 yards per carry, only 66 rushing yards per game, only three rushing touchdowns on the season. Derek Henry is like a juggernaut, utterly unstoppable, multiple touchdowns in three straight games. He is, again, the NFL's leading rusher. Um, he's been a perfect running back so far. They may, Maybe they don't throw to him as much as we'd like, but it's a little bit more than prior seasons. I, I Like, I can't wait for the matchup. I would never bet against Henry. Like, uh, you know, it might be... There, there might be a handful of two-yard carries along the way, but I, I would still bank on him, I don't know, 80-plus yards, another touchdown. Like, always a good shot at multiple touchdowns because that's the, like that's how they roll. That's the the foundation of the offense. Interestingly, on Mad Bets this week, I was asked whether or not I thought uh, Henry would go over under 99 and a half yards. And so Ooh. I made the same points that you made, noting as well that only Miles Sanders uh, was able to hit 80 yards rushing. No other running back was able to hit that total. The Steelers have yet to give up 100 rushing yards to a single running back this year. But Sanders did, if you remember, on one really long, lucky 70-yard run. And it just so happens, though, that what do we know about Derrick Henry? He is an expert at ripping off insane, (laughs) unpredictable. I mean, he is the physical manifestation of an anomaly. That is just what you have to believe about him. And so I took the over because, like you said, I am never going to bet against him. He's my RB3 this week. 
He's also good about breaking off those runs within the context of an already great game. So he's yeah. like rolling to 120 yards and then he breaks off the 90 yarder. Yeah. Elsewhere within this matchup, we should talk about Deontay Johnson, who is back practicing in full. Now, there might be some squabbling as to whether or not this affects Chase Claypool. But I think we can both pretty much agree that Chase Claypool is the team's wide receiver one. Yeah, I feel that way. Um, this this receiving core actually to me, and it, it's funny. I feel like I've I feel like I've heard from people on Twitter just in the last two or three days, seriously disrespecting every member of the Steelers receiving core separately. Right? They, like, there's people who don't think Claypool can keep it going. There's people who are like done with Deontay. Oh my gosh, he's had multiple injuries this year. There's people who are fed up with Juju. Uh, to me, this this uh, receiving core is going to be a little bit like Dallas's with uh, with Andy Dalton, at quarterback, right? Like, we like them all. It's going to be three guys who finish among the top 25 to 30 overall fantasy receivers by the end of the season. There's probably not going to be many weeks where all three of them go off, but it's a good bet that two will in any given week as long as Ben is at quarterback because Ben's got, like, I mean, he comes into week seven with, I think it's 11 touchdown passes, only one pick on the year. Uh, he has multiple touchdown passes in every game but one. I mean, he's not exactly the Ben of old, but he's been great. The offense is humming. Um, and then if you're like, if you're worried about Deontay's snaps, I, I figure that he he effectively steps right into the sort of role that that maybe James Washington has had. And James Washington over the last three weeks, 49 snaps, 53 snaps, 43. Snaps. Like he's on the field plenty. Like there's there's plenty of opportunity for Deontay, Juju and Claypool. Um, but I agree with you. I think Claypool is is well on his way to finishing as the top wide receiver on this team. I think also Juju's A dot is particularly worrisome. We talked about it. You and yeah. I went head to head, uh, whether it would be Jamison Crowder or Juju Smith Schuster, and I can't believe you won that face off. My God, because <laughs> Jamison Crowder didn't do great, guys. Um, um, <laughs> but the A dot for Juju is particularly worrisome, especially when we had a matchup last week against Cleveland, who gives up so much yardage in the slot, which is where we know Juju plays. So I am backing off of Juju, which is sad because I have a lot of exposure to him. And ranking him really is like a low-end wide receiver three until something else shifts. Um, let's move ahead to Tennessee because I think we're all in agreement about the different pizza pieces of Pittsburgh's receiving core. It is worth mentioning that A.J. Brown missed practice on Thursday with a knee issue. And that's important because we already know that he's missed two weeks with a knee issue earlier in the season. It's really tough because he is such a difference maker for this offense. Um, and you don't, I don't, even though Corey Davis, right, he's been activated off of the COVID list. And it's another good sign that J Johnny Smith practiced in full on Thursday. So she, he should be good to go. But it just feels like similarly how to the way we talk about DJ Chark in Jacksonville, he uh, is yeah. the fulcrum under which all of this operates well outside yeah, of nobody obviously Derrick Henry. Yeah, I agree with that. Nobody nobody just slides right into the A.J. Brown role. Like, there's some targets that are going to be vacated, but they aren't going to look exactly the same. Like, Corey Davis was not giving us an A.J. Brown impression um, exactly right. when, when A.J. Brown was out. That's just a, a dimension that the offense won't have. Like, a, a absolutely take the take the lid off the, the defense sort of situation. And we, we just don't find that with guys like Humphreys and Davis. Um, which is fine. The offense like could still roll a little bit with those guys, but um, AJ Brown is a is a true difference maker, and I think Chark is a good comp for him. Uh, hopefully, he plays right. Like, I mean, it's well. You're I, mentioning I want, I want his all elements of this game in action. 
Absolutely. And you're mentioning his after the catch ability. And that's just the thing when you're dealing with Pittsburgh, because as Mina Kimes mentioned on Fantasy Football Live last week, the defensive front is absolutely brutal. But the secondary can be had. And when you look at Brown's Mm -hmm. after the catch ability, that is a receiver that can produce in this matchup. And the rapport between him and Tannehill is undeniable. So I think if he does play like four to five catches for 60 yards and a touchdown is completely within the realm of reasonability. Yeah, totally. Absolutely agree. Uh, A game that is less exciting, unless you're an NFC East (laughs) fan, Dallas at Washington. I don't think this is who cares territory necessarily, but there are some, this is where fantasy football becomes so exciting, right? Otherwise nobody would care about this game. But when you have numerous teams on by and you have COVID creating all sorts of chaos, (laughs) And you also have invested in probably, as you mentioned earlier, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz, and now Andy Dalton. This is the thing I'm most excited about for this game. Honestly, like if you like real football and you like fantasy, watching Chase Young maul Andy Dalton all week (laughs) long or all, all four quarters long behind that banged up offensive line is going to be your cup of tea. From a fantasy perspective, I think this makes Dalton Schultz an interesting play because, you know, despite the, it was so lovely at first to see the chemistry between Gallup and Dalton. But when you just think about logistically, if Dalton is getting hit all the time, he's going to, well, if Andy Dalton is getting brutalized nonstop, then probably he's going to try to like heave it up to a big, obvious middle of the field target. And that has been Dalton Schultz. Yeah, it's a good point. You got to get the ball out quick. Um, assuming that he's going to, as you say, he's going to get just ragdolled, sacked uh, a handful of times in this game, right? Because Chase Young is unstoppable, um, and that should play well to the for the for the running backs for Zeke out of the backfield and for uh, for Dalton Schultz maybe for some short range stuff to Ceedee Lamb. It would not figure to be a Michael Gallup game. These two teams are very difficult to predict. Like bad teams meet and crazy stuff happens. I'm kind of I'm kind of just glad that this division plays each other at least for a weekend so we don't so we don't have to see like these teams getting getting absolutely stomped by like real NFL clubs. On the positive side for the Washington football team it was nice to see Terry McLaurin get back to alpha status, good number of targets back to being productive with Kyle Allen under center for four straight quarters. I think he can find the end zone again this week. He's obviously someone that you're going to start every week because he's dragging bad quarterbacks into production and Kyle Allen in this matchup could be someone that you have to stream now you know if just by the way like I write the sleepers article for Yahoo every week and I do the fantasy damage segment on fantasy football live and sometimes in my feeds just because of algorithms I'll see other people's sleepers articles y'all Justin Herbert is not a sleeper please don't tell me that Justin Herbert is you can't (laughs) write Justin Herbert is a sleeper anymore Kyle Allen, if you look at a percentage rostered equation, is an actual sleeper. And I'm not going to try to convince you that he's a world beater. Like, you can make a bad decision along with him and review all of last year's tape. I don't need to do it for you, but he is the starter in a familiar system and a juicy matchup. And he was a top 12 producer at the position last week. So I do think he can finish inside the top 15 if and if only if you are desperate. 
I, I love that you mentioned that because I usually write about a quarterback in the pickups column. I feature at least one guy. And like, I don't like to make it somebody who's who's nearly 50 percent rostered. Right. Because that means that in most pretty competitive leagues, they're not actually out there. So I chose to write about Kyle Allen because he's ah. he's facing this like zombie defense. Right. Like this absolute legit terrible. I can still see them all waving at Kenyon Drake as he ran into the end zone defense. It, this is a bad defense. It's a great matchup for him. Obviously, he's not he's not a world beater. This he's you know, he was he was bad last year and he's a pretty sketchy quarterback with a sketchy offensive line and all that. But the matchup is tremendous. It's as good as it gets. And so I write about Kyle Allen. I point out that he's three percent rostered. If you need a streamer in a deep league, this is probably your guy. And people come back with, well, I'd rather have Tannehill. Well, no, I would rather have Tannehill too. Everybody would rather have Tannehill. He's like 60, 70% rostered. I can't, I can't go get Tannehill right now. I can't go get Minshew right now. I can't go get Bridgewater. You, I'm, I'm sorry, are stuck with Kyle Allen. If you're, if you're streaming in a deep league. Well, it looks like the New York Jets will not be stuck with Joe Flacco much longer because (laughs) if we are going to reach for silver lining, Sam Darnold, was practicing again on Thursday, is looking good reportedly for Sunday, but it's the Jets. There's always a couple butts here. Uh, Makai Becton, (laughs) still limited. Obviously, he's the left tackle, right? So he's got the shoulder injury. Jamison Crowder, Meeps, has a groin issue. He was downgraded from limited to did not practice on Thursday. Chris Hogan's on IR with a high ankle sprain. That means, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, please. Baxton Barrios is your slot receiver for the week, which is, by the way, all that's going to be targeted. Don't even come at me about Perryman because without Becton healthy and this Buffalo squad probably a little pissed, um, I don't really see who else is going to get the ball. I mean, other, obviously, than Frank Gore. Yeah, um, it's a this is such a wasteland. Like, I don't even want to talk up anybody um, on on the Jets necessarily. There's no like hard recommendation here. I've seen a little bit of excitement out there for P. Ryan, who who did actually out snap Frank Gore uh, in week six. So like if you're if you're in a point per snap league, go for it. But he's he's not getting the ball as often as Frank Gore. Frank Gore is just never, ever going to go away. Yeah, he got Gase yeah. a little bit because Gase was like, yeah, well, uh, I, I pulled him because I wanted to keep him motivated. No, that's not how you <laughs> like Adam Gase is everybody's dad. Like everybody who's gone to therapy because of their fathers is, is very <laughs> triggered by Adam Gase right now. That's all I'm going to say. Who, who isn't motivated by having opportunities taken away from them right? <laughs> for no good reason? Um, one last note, he's not fantasy relevant, but in case anyone is keeping track in a dynasty format, Denzel Mims is probably going to make his professional debut in week seven on the Buffalo side of things. John Brown isn't practicing. He's been hampered with an injury pretty much all season. My boy, Gabriel Davis did not get it going because nobody really got it going in week six, uh, versus Kansas city. But that makes this a massive get right spot for Buffalo. So I am aggressively ranking Josh Allen also because of the matchup. Like this is you've got motivation. You've got you are going to get so wasted on process juice in this one that (laughs) it'll be blackout awesome in the next morning. The only piece that I'm Cole Beasley, as you said last week, I mean, there you go, making good on all these bold predictions. He found the end zone. I will say that I'm a little bit worried about Devin Singletary, he's only had three targets over his last two weeks. Remember, we like to see him earlier in the season getting a lot of that work in the passing game. So I've downgraded him to like 
uh, the RB18, RB20 sort of range. He hasn't been great over the past two weeks. And obviously, Zach Moss is back. Yeah, Singletary is the one who really needs the get right spot, right? Because he's been Mm. a a pretty significant disappointment, was a fairly significant disappointment while Moss was out. And now Moss is there to perhaps take some receptions, take some goal line touches. Um, It would be great if, you know, if you've got any shares of Singletary, if he does anything here, he finds the end zone, he gives you 100 yards. uh, I I might take him to the trade market off of this. Oh, all right. Well, that... Put a pin in that one, everyone. Uh, Andy is a much better trader than I am. Oh, my gosh. Did you see what Skip, Scott Pianowski fleeced me? And I just like laid over and was like, fine, have these players <laughs> in one of our leagues. Like I, I've given up. I mean, in that league, I've got like Chris God. It was a fab league. Chris Godwin, Austin Eckler and Dak Prescott. And it's 14 teams. Super flex. Anyway, oh. nobody wants to hear about your fantasy team. What people do want to hear about is Michael Thomas finally getting on the field. And how about this for a 2020 tilt? He returns to practice. No more dis. He's not he's not hampered by uh, the issue that initially got him. He didn't get into any more. He's not throwing haymakers against any more teammates. <laughs> but then mm, he tweaks his hamstring and was not available to the media on Thursday after practice. So he is legitimately in doubt for week seven uh, because this year is not predictable enough. Whole lot of weirdness here, whole lot of whole lot of smoke here. He was already coming back from an injury where we almost never expect somebody to be fully a hundred percent um when they when they step back on the field again, but he did have the buy. I need him to go. <laughs> I've got, you know, I've held out and have managed to cobble some three and three records together on some Michael Thomas teams. I really need him to go in this one. Um I'm not super optimistic about it. I, like I think people know by now what the and we've already had the Michael Thomas fire drill a few times. So it's it's Traquan, it's Emmanuel Sanders, and it, it's just like this is such a blow up spot for uh, Kamara. Anyway, Kamara, yeah. um, it would it would just be even even more so. Carolina has allowed the most receptions to running backs so far, the fifth most uh, fantasy points to running backs, almost five yards per carry. Like it's it's such an obvious blow up spot for Kamara, no matter who's on the field. But without Thomas, um, he could give you two hundred total yards. It's also really fun to watch Kamara and CMC battle it out um, for the title of the elite running backs. And it doesn't look like Christian McCaffrey is going to be back until after next week. So we're going to punt Kamara, on Kamara, by the way, is on pace to make a run at McCaffrey's like running back reception record, which I think would be really fun. Well, I think this is a spot where he can definitely gain some ground. You know, we talk about angry Tom Brady all the time. That's a trope. <laughs> I am way more entertained by angry Aaron Rodgers. It like loads more entertained by Aaron because because angry Tom Brady is like the guy that was always too cool for you in high school and you like had a crush on and he would just like brood at you and then walk away. And Aaron Rodgers is like is like the guy that would talk to you in woodshop but then still not ask you out. Like it's the it's so <laughs> it's so deep. Like just just like a oh I love it. I don't I can't explain it if you've never been turned down by Justin Lattice in Woodshop, then maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Have you maintained your Woodshop skills, by the way? Um, probably You not, do a little, little amateur woodworking? I have done a little bit of like re- refinishing of furniture, but not like uh-huh. actually okay. sawing anything major. Have you? So that class, so that class is paying off uh, outside <laughs> the, the rejection. I'm pretty sure my mom's happy that I'm not bringing her any more like busted looking napkin holders made out of wood and burnish. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, 
So we we are anticipating an angry Aaron Rodgers after the entire Packers offense got stymied by the Bucks yeah. in week six. Um, Devontae Adams, I think, has an opportunity for a really gorgeous bounce back spot. I have him fearlessly forecasted for nine catches, 114 yards and a touchdown. And I think that might be conservative. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, and I like the call on Aaron Rodgers. We're probably, you know, because he I mean, it's early to take oneself out of the MVP race, but he's probably not in the in the like he was in the first sentence of that conversation before, right, with Russell Wilson, and he's probably not there anymore. He had his had his first multi interception game since 2017, which is kind of crazy. So huge bounce back spot for him, obviously. Yeah, one maybe two touchdowns for Devontae Adams. There's a there's a little bit of an injury worry with Robert Tanyan right now, and we haven't you know obviously we haven't seen the game yet where Tanyan and Devontae Adams both do stuff. So that would be really nice to see. Uh, for those of us who who picked up Tanyan somewhere along the way, uh, this is also because uh, I, I think you know Houston bottom third in the in the league against the pass, terrible against the run. Also, this is a great Aaron Jones game, but we could we could you know there there should be enough offense here that we see a little Valdez Scantling too. I also think we could see a little bit of Jamal Williams if you need some help at running back. I have him yeah. in the low wide receiver I'm sorry low running back three area it's worth mentioning obviously that even um Jeremy McNichols remember him from remember he was that rookie was drafted <laughs> by Tampa Bay back in the day uh he's the backup to Derrick Henry and even though the time went in the game went into overtime he did manage like RB 20-ish type finish uh so I think there might be enough production because Houston is so bad against the run for Jamal Williams who has been on the field for close to 50% of the snaps with Aaron Jones, which was when both backs were healthy, the trend in 2019 as well. Man, that that game really wrecked the year-to-date stats against Houston. Like, they don't even seem possible anymore. Like, they're giving up five and a half yards per carry now. They're get they're like 177 or 178 rushing yards per game. Like, that, that just, that destroyed them. We should say some nice things about Houston, though, because this, <laughs> this is an offense with an incredible quarterback and some legit weapons. Will Fuller is the, you know, not by any means a copy and paste version, but the of, De- of DeAndre Hopkins, but the team's wide receiver one. Um, I think this projects because we see Mike Pettin's offense continually lay down versus the run. A really good smash spot for David Johnson. Like he's not the between yeah. the tackles grinder. We've talked about this, but he can. Um, exploit a soft matchup. So I think this is a good spot for him. I am more interested in some of these secondary pieces. So we know Will Fuller. We know David Johnson. Jordan Aikens still not practicing. Darren Fells, meanwhile, has scored in back-to-back games as terrifying and touchdown dependent as that may be. Like, he's still on that low-end tight end one, like 11 to 13 radar now because of that. And I've got a lot of Brandon Cook's questions And in this matchup, again, noting that the over-under is set at 57, I am advocating for Cooks' ceiling in this one. Yeah, absolutely. I've got Cooks now ranked as a wide receiver three, I think. But it's one of those situations where you can, you know, he's only a wide receiver three because you're concerned about the floor. But the ceiling is extremely high for Cooks this week. I do like Deshaun Watson's playing really well. Deshaun Watson does not deserve the record that his team has, like he's still a really fun watch. Um, This is a good offense. As you mentioned with David Johnson, he's just somebody who's been absolutely shut down by difficult matchups. And this is not a difficult matchup. Like you want to, you want to have David Johnson rolling when he gets a defense that gives up like 4.7, 4.8 yards per carry This is going to be a good spot for him. 
Cleveland and Cincinnati. This is a rematch. Remember, these two teams met earlier in the season and Joe Burrow put up three touchdowns um, to Baker Mayfield's two. It feels like we have lived many lives, at least in the, in the in the journeys of both of these quarterbacks since that time, though. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. That was that was the game in which Burrow had what like ninety pass attempts, some ridiculous total of pass attempts. I think it was also it was also the the game in which uh, Chubb scored twice, Hunt scored twice. Like the running backs just went crazy against Cincinnati, and that that Cincinnati run defense remains one of the worst in the league, giving up over five yards per carry. Uh, so it's a it's clearly a great spot for Kareem Hunt. It is a great spot for Kareem Hunt. I also think that, you know, Burrow is coming off of some underwhelming efforts in different and very difficult matchups. But the difference to me between these two teams is that you have one quarterback, you have two overall number one picks, right? So like that, that just contextualizes everything. And yet you have one of them who's being encouraged to throw the ball and the yeah. other one being begged not to. <laughs> And it's so that's just like such, I mean, along with the rest of 2020, such cognitive dissonance, like it is trying to like, I I don't know how I don't know how you advocate for Baker Mayfield at this point, you know, after yes, he was hurt. Yes, the offensive line was banged up. Yes, the matchup was brutal last week, but also like it was such a spot for him to like show and I hate this sort of like culture talk, this like leadership nonsense, but it was such an opportunity to allow him even if he made some mistakes to like let loose and to see you to see what he could do and to leave the team even like energetically. And it just feels like everything is staying really buttoned up. And it and it is in such sharp contrast to what Cincinnati is allowing and encouraging Joe Burrow to do. Yeah, when yeah, I mean, you said it really well, like it's it's disappointing that Baker Mayfield already seems to be in the sort of game manager phase of his career uh, and he's and he's this young but when things are like on schedule and on script for Cleveland they they want his pass attempts to be like 22 23 like he's just not even his multi-touchdown games are like 160 yards 180 yards you know they're not they're not weeks that help you as a fantasy manager Mm -hmm. it looks okay when you look at the game log and okay two touchdowns I can live with two touchdowns but you can't live with week after week of like 170 passing yards and that is that is the kind of scenario that we have here like a like a really good week for Baker Mayfield and the Browns uh any timeout is like he ends up with 185 and a touchdown um and kareem hunt and some other running back do all the heavy lifting it's also worth noting that the yahoo consensus all of us have joe burrow ranked pretty significantly ahead of baker mayfield um which i don't know it's telling for for a rookie joe mixon was a little bit banged up um in practice on Thursday. So keep an eye on that. But obviously, you know, you like the volume that you saw and the matchup is tough, but I don't think that any of us are in a position of luxury to sit him right now. Just maybe anticipate a bit of a, a bit of a downgrade, uh, assuming he'll take the field, but not at a hundred percent. Yeah, that all, that all sounds right to me. It's an encouraging sign that he actually returned to the game last week after, uh, after checking out with injury and he was questionable and we were wringing our hands and then he came back and, and appeared to be fine. Detroit at Atlanta over under is 55 on this one. This is like the quarterback redemption tour between these two. (laughs) Isn't it lovely to see you've got Kenny Galladay going against Julio Jones, who did 
receive a little bit of a designation for his hamstring issue, though after last week, I don't imagine any of us think some of us might have sat Matt Ryan thinking he might be a bust and that Julio Jones was not, in fact, healthy. And we learned our lesson. So I am definitely rolling out Julio Jones. And I think he goes over 100 yards in this one. Yeah, that's a, obviously that's a good call. He looked fantastic last week. Um, Atlanta is basically going to play out their entire season now with a whole bunch of games that fantasy managers get super excited about and are a very little consequence um, in reality, right? <laughs> like there's no reason you'd be yeah. you'd be all over this game as an NFL fan. But as a fantasy manager, this is this is ideal. Um, Atlanta ranks 31st in uh, in passing yards against uh, given up like 335 per week. They are dead last in uh, yards per attempt. They're last in passing touchdowns allowed like this is a blow up spot for Stafford shouldn't need to convince anyone that Matt Ryan is a, in a good spot against Detroit's defense too. like like what did you say the number was in this one 53 like the 55. over feels right 55 the over still feels right there like like one of these teams is scoring 35 in this game one last note for our DFS enthusiasts uh DeAndre Swift is only $20 in our daily game which I think is a pretty nice value considering that there seems to be a bit of a sea change finally occurring in this backfield. Are you buying into a swift change, if you will, or do you think that it's going to revert back to, as Tank likes to say, I don't, I can't do it. Do you like, or do you think it will revert back to, (laughs) I can't do it. Um, The Adrian Peterson led backfield. I actually, I love that you mentioned swift um, because this is just even if he doesn't, you know, sort of ascend to this this alpha role in the backfield, whatever. And I, I do think that Adrian Peterson is going to I mean, he's going to stick around. Adrian Peterson's going to be like 12 to 14 carries a game probably for the rest of the season, as long as he's healthy. But Swift has had that primary receiving role out of the backfield. And this is a golden matchup. Um, Atlanta allows the second most receptions and the second most receiving yards to running backs. Um, running backs have been getting them all season as pass catchers. It's a, it's a great spot for Swift. Obviously you just saw 14 carries, which I think was, was his single season or uh, mm-hmm. single game high so far. He doesn't, he doesn't need that to be successful here. If he just gets six, seven targets in this one and, and 10 carries, that, that's going to be a big day for Swift against Atlanta. We just wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planter's Deluxe Mixed Nuts. We got some news, Andy. Let's get into this news. Tampa Bay at Las Vegas. Everybody very excited for this matchup. Oh, but there's a twist. It was moved (laughs) from Sunday night to the late afternoon because, <laughs> oh, we've been waiting for this. We knew it was going to happen. We talked about this this exact positional group being one of the most vulnerable to COVID, yeah. the entire Vegas O-line isolating due to COVID expo- ex- exposure. Uh, apparently, right tackle Trent Brown kicked it off. And now uh, you've got Gabe Jackson, Denzel Good, Colton Meyerland, and Rodney Hudson all joining him. Yeah, if this had happened later in the week, like somebody gets diagnosed later in the week, it's hard to imagine how a game could possibly happen as we as we speak. I I, I think there is a, a sort of narrow lane where this game can happen if these guys are if these guys are negative uh, on uh, on Sunday morning, and, and then like if if any of them are positive or can't or can't get cleared for this thing. I, I don't know that it gets moved. I mean, Vegas has already had its bye. They do have reserve linemen. It would just be a terrible situation for the team. 
this is the first we've seen of this, but it's probably not going to be the last, right? Like if somebody is is COVID positive and they're in a position room, like that, I mean, this is what's going to happen. It's almost a surprise that it that it that it took until week seven for this to for this to pop up. It's like this was always going to be. I mean, I'm I'm pivoting to like the actual fantasy analysis of this, but this was always going to be a terrible matchup for Josh Jacobs, right? Facing the best run defense in the league, just a, just a fierce defense overall. Uh, now to do it without, we, we don't, we don't know how many linemen are going to be missing. Um, maybe, maybe five, maybe, <laughs> maybe one, maybe five. We don't know. Um, but it's bad. It is extraordinarily bad, especially because it's also bad for Derek Carr, right? Like, yeah. can you imagine the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how much they are licking their chops at the thought of this matchup. They already have 22 sacks on the season. That's like four per week, right? Like, so I think if Vegas is interested in player props, maybe over under six sacks for Derek Carr. And I'm not <laughs> sure I'm convinced of the under, despite the fact that he's the most he's had all season is three. Yeah. Um, and that, like, it's an offense that had just opened up so many fun things with Henry Ruggs getting back and this vertical dimension. There's not going to be time for any of that. Henry Ruggs has no chance to do a thing like Derek Carr is never going to have two and a half seconds to throw. So the ball's got to come out quick. Um, it's got to be one of those Waller games. It's got to be uh, like there, there's no time for Aguilar and Henry Ruggs doing deep things like that's just not going to be there. No. And from a Tampa Bay side of it, I mean, we should mention that Leonard Fournette is practicing, though he did practice two full times ahead of being inactive last week. So this just seems like Ronald Jones and Rob Gronkowski, really. Yeah. And and man, Ronald Jones has been I mean, Ronald Jones has been really good. Like he's he's averaging almost five yards per carry rushed for 100 plus yards in three straight games. Vegas is already giving up the third most uh, fantasy points to opposing running backs. It's a blow up spot for Jones. He's playing great. He's on he's on pace for, I think, 40 plus receptions on the season. So he's doing a little bit of everything there. You know, Ronald Jones is also that guy where like just when you think he can't possibly fail you, something happens. Right. Leonard Fournette gets a weird number of carries that's happened before. But now that we're now that we're three games into Ronald Jones's period of dominance, it's it's hard to imagine that it won't continue here. And I don't think like similarly to the way we saw the game go against Green Bay, like there isn't going to need to be a lot of passing here. And it's, you know, like the, the Raiders don't have much of a pass rush anyway. So I think the question is going to be, does Tom Brady want to like feel himself a little bit and just put up like a 50 burger and Belichickian in <laughs> Belichickian style, like just go ham or does he want to like allow the defense to continue to be the engine of this team and just hand the ball off and get the whole damn thing over with as fast as possible. Yeah, Brady put the ball in the air 27 times last week and 15 of those went to to Godwin or Gronk. Um, good to see, you know, Gronk super involved. They they rarely let Mike Evans go two weeks in a row without uh, huge opportunities. So I would expect him to to get his this week, especially if this is as one sided a matchup as it could possibly be. I don't know that I don't know that Tampa Bay is going to need to get to 50 in this one or get to 40 right. in this one. I don't. Yeah, I think the mercy rule, if there were one, would would perhaps come into play here. The only reason I'm like even wondering about it the the involvement of the rushing game of, of Ronald Jones last week was a little element of additionally, yes, not needing to pass because the the Tampa because Tampa Bay was so dominant, but also and because the game script didn't necessitate it, but also playing keep away from Aaron Rodgers and, you know, the talent 
differential between Carr and Rodgers is obviously yeah. vast. And so I, th- I have a feeling that this is Tom Brady showing off for like the first quarter and a half and then just kind of posting it out for the rest of the F- for the rest of the effort, maybe a pop here and there in the third quarter, just to remind everybody that he's the goat. We're speaking about this as though there's absolutely no chance that, that the Raiders offensive line is is uh, capable and, and available for this game. And they could be like it's still possible that let's say four linemen are there. Of course, they won't have practiced all week. They won't have, you know, they've basically been in Zoom meetings all week with uh, their position coach. So that's not ideal. Um, but the, the team is well-rested. They're coming off a bye and all that. So if these guys can get cleared, we might actually have a somewhat competitive game. Oh, wait, one more, Andy. We forgot to mention that Jonathan Abram, the safety, is also on the COVID list. So like Gronk yes. all day. Yeah, yeah. And Gronk is coming off. I think it was an eight-target game. Like yeah. Gronk is a Gronk is, is a plug-and-play tight end here for sure. All right, we, we have played and we have talked entirely too long about a game that may not get played. So uh, let's... <laughs> move along to a game that will get played, but I don't know if anybody really cares. It's Jacksonville at the Los Angeles Chargers. <sighs> so to me, the interesting pieces about this game are that the Chargers defense is getting healthy again. And that's exciting to see Melvin Ingram will be back. They've got another defensive tackle that's coming back. So the matchup now for James Robinson, who has underwhelmed in back-to-back efforts becomes even more difficult. And Gardner Minshew, who has had his own set of struggles, also now has like a real pass rush to contend with. Yeah, this is a good spot. And you probably had to grab them off waivers, but this is a really good spot for the Chargers defense. And they were they were widely available. They had been on a bye. Um, so anybody who had them probably dropped them going into their bye. Um, they were, I, I want to say, only about 30% rostered coming into the week. So they're a great fantasy start. Like, I think Minshew can make a little noise on volume here. Um, that is that is probably the way it would have to happen. It's not a great spot for Robinson. Um, I would suspect that the that the run gets away from Jacksonville a little bit in this one. And so we'll be relying on Minshew to put the ball in the air 40 to 45 times. Chark, in a, in a week in which we worried about him even be, being available, saw 14 targets. So that was a really good sign. Like, I think he's a he's a fair play against pretty much any secondary, pretty much any any cornerback matchup. I'm I'm trusting him, but beyond him, I'm, there's not a lot to trust on the Jacksonville side. On the Chargers offense, are you last we saw this backfield, right? There was I I was advocating for Justin Jackson, but none of us really, really knew whether it was gonna be Kelly or Jackson who were leading the charge. Jackson from a production and frankly just a I don't want to say talent, but a experiential level looked much m- m- like much more the one a option in this backfield though you know there's been a buy we don't know what anthony lynn's intentions are we know that he is a coach that has played the position and so he has a particular fondness to it and we know that he really likes the rookie and has talked up the rookie um so are you it's obviously a great matchup for both of them are you leaning towards one more than the other yeah, I'm I'm leaning heavily Jackson. Um, and we talked about this a little bit on Fantasy Football Live. I'm actually I think I'm going to throw him in the bold prediction segment a little bit later. Like th- this this job became Jackson's in the in the Monday night game. I mean, he out snapped, out touched, out gained Joshua Kelly, who hasn't been super efficient this year. I, I think Kelly maintains a role that's going to be there all year. It's going to be there when Eckler gets back. They still like him in short yardage. 
which is good because he only ever gains short yardage, right? Like he's like a three yard per carry guy right now. Can catch the ball a little bit, but but Jackson just saw so much greater volume uh, in that last game. I think it was I think it was twenty touches to twelve, something like that. And now gained him by over fifty yards. And I mean, over the course of his Chargers career, he's like a you know he's been hyper efficient. Um, he's we haven't really seen him that often as a full workload guy, but um, I like he can do it. He was an absolute workhorse at the at the collegiate level. There's no reason I think he can't do it uh for i don't know a month more until austin eckler gets back i i think he's a i think he's a pretty solid rb1 all right well go ahead and save the boldness for for later in the show but i agree with you i have him <laughs> ranked i have him ranked uh similarly although if you're recommending him for your bold prediction i don't know if i want that uh <laughs> that hex on him because I uh... I know I know I know I've no. I've been wrecking players. It's it, actually it is Sorry. something I, I I may pivot to like I may pivot I may have to I may have to pivot because I don't want to doom him because I actually need I need a big week from him and so I've been I. I've been a dark shadow over like all of the players that I have been hyping in any bold prediction segment. I am the worst. You're you're not the worst. You are in fact one of the best. But it has been uncanny. <laughs> Um, let's talk briefly about Keenan Allen because last we saw him, he was scoring a touchdown and then exiting the game with what we now know to be back spasms. He had the bye. He is assumedly healthy. He's expected to play like the matchup for him. I think he can clear 80 yards, probably find the end zone as well in this one. So don't worry about firing Keenan Allen up. Do you disagree with that at all? Which you are more than welcome to do. Go ahead and hex him. No. No, I certainly don't. His three previous games, he'd seen double digit targets, including a 19 target game like like Justin Herbert knows who his best receiver is. Like, it doesn't mean that he can't coexist with Mike Williams. Mike Williams can do great things on five or six targets. But Keenan is is basically locked in for 10 or 12. San Francisco at New England. I don't really have a lot of specific game notes other than wanting to see Cam Newton rebound, but recognizing this is a difficult place to do that. Yeah, it is. Um, the The first thing I wrote down for this game is that, and I'm I'm not I'm not tied to Julian Edelman in very many spots at all. I don't know if I have him anywhere. Um, he's the wide receiver forty eight right now. <laughs> like like Julian Edelman has been outside of the Seattle game, um, in which he actually dropped a touchdown that would have turned the game around. Like has like that was that was most of his fantasy production for the season in that one game. He has been crazy quiet. And we, we need to see a little something from the from the receiving core. Some of that's on him. Some of that's on the receiving core generally. Some of it, I'm sure, is, you know, Cam coming back from from the break and from the COVID list of all things. So but yeah, this is not a this is not a great spot. We, we've seen basically the one binge game against San Francisco. Ryan Fitzpatrick randomly just going supernova against them. But it is it does remain a difficult matchup. So I don't I don't love it for Cam. I, I don't think Edelman is startable anymore. I mean, total of seven catches over his last three games is brutal. I was on fearless forecast for wide receivers this week, and I only have him forecasted for four catches and 46 yards. Yeah, that's I mean, that that would be a lot based on his recent standards. Right. <laughs> um, let us move to Kansas City at Denver. Couple of news notes: uh, Noah Fant, Noah Fant practiced in full on Thursday, so he should be good to go. That's exciting. Uh, KJ Hamler still limited in practice; he's been dealing with that hamstring issue. I have a bold prediction a little bit later about Tim Patrick, so we're going to put a pin in that. But you know, if I am going to talk up Kyle Allen as a very deep potential fantasy damage play, then 
man, if somebody scooped you and you aren't able to get Kyle Allen, like, I guess you kind of got to lock it up with Drew. <laughs> it's not a perfect spot for Drew Locke, right? No. Like Kansas City has has the league's number three pass defense. Um, they've been very generous to opposing running backs because like Kansas City just sort of knows that you're not going to you're not going to be able to beat us by running the football, like run all you want. You're not going to get to 40 points by running the football. Um, and, uh, and Kansas city has been pretty stingy to opposing passers. I like Tim Patrick though, has, uh, you, you name dropped him there has, has been like, it's nuts that he's had this three game streak, you know, three games with either hundred yards or a touchdown or both. He, he's done it with Driscoll and Rippon and Drew Locke, like, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't matter if the opponent is New England. Like, it just doesn't matter. He's been he's been completely quarterback and matchup proof so far. So I love that call. He's he's probably the the fantasy play on Denver side that I feel most confident in. Which running back do you feel more confident with, though? Clyde Edwards Hilaire or Le'Veon Bell? Uh, yeah, um, this is going to be our first look at it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was listening on the, the you know, the Yahoo uh, football podcast with with Charles and Therese. Um, Therese, obviously, really close to this situation, really close to the team. And he has been super gung ho on Edwards Allaire, which, um, which which I like. I get it. Like, I, I feel like it's I, I feel like he's kind of nailing this um, like Le'Veon Bell may have a role at the goal line. Le'Veon may have a rotational role. They're obviously not, you know, they didn't throw a bunch of years and, and a whole bunch of money at Le'Veon Bell. This is just a kind of a cheap and, and and free look for the Chiefs. So I can I can see him, you know, he's huge, right? He's like six foot four. He's 220-something, 230, um, massive player. So although Andy Reid, when he had a player of like Jamal Charles used to used to get the ball at the goal line um, for Andy Reid. He didn't he didn't care about having like some big hulking back um, trot onto the field at the goal line. But that that would be a role where I can see Le'Veon Bell thriving and and poaching a bunch of annoying fantasy values. Sort of that that Damian. Well, you know, they were just really yeah. comfortable with Damian Williams near the goal line. I could see that. I, I would be very surprised if Le'Veon is getting more than eight to ten touches a game that can make you a flex in an offense that averages 35 points a week though. So like, that's fine. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect more than that. And, and I think CEH is still the guy. I a hundred percent agree, especially after his effort in week six. I mean, if you watch that game and I don't know what else anyone had to do at two o'clock in the afternoon on the West coast, <laughs> at least um, I watched every damn minute of that game. And you saw why Edwards Hilaire was drafted in the first round. I w- was, I have, I feel like, existentially speaking, this is Le'Veon Bell, who has historically been about the money, taking a moment to say, oh, I did that. And you know what? I was miserable and I have enough money. And now I just want to be a winner. Like, I, I just want the opposite experience of the past, what, year and a half, two years. Like, I, I, it just would be nice. Yeah. You know, I don't mind. I, I'm not going to end up looking as bad as LaShawn McCoy did. So I'm cool with it. Like, and I, I think that that I agree with you is the shift. I still have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ranked inside my top 12 at the position this week. Uh, he's not in the top six. You know, he's not in the top eight, but he is in the top 12 for me. He's a low-end RB1. And I think you're right that Le'Veon Bell is probably going to get some run, but he is not going to have, because of the offense and the quarterback that this backfield is attached to, he is not going to completely siphon away all of Edward Hilaire's production and opportunities. 
it's it's going to be huge for Le'Veon's future market if he can just, you know, if he can be associated with winning, with doing whatever a coaching staff asked of him, with taking on a lesser role, with just, you know, being like a productive part of a of a team that can win at the highest level. That would be huge for him because obviously the the general reputation that like your your first thought about Le'Veon Bell right now is he wants to make sure that he gets every possible mm-hmm. touch and he wants uh, obvi- anybody should want every possible dollar. I don't I don't begrudge anybody for that. But like he wants everybody's touches and like he's a, he's on a team where he's just he, you're not the center of the universe anymore. This is Patrick Mahomes team for sure. And you've got another talented back in the in the backfield and they're just all about winning. And if he can contribute to that, it's a huge thing for his future. Absolutely. Nice. Hive. It's a brand reboot. I agree. So I think <laughs> probably the broadcasting world is excited by the switch to the Seattle at Arizona Sunday night (laughs) game. I mean, this is a much more appetizing primetime offering than, no offense, Vegas and Tampa Bay. Um, We are going to see Russell Wilson returning from by, and we're going to see Arizona fresh off of their licking of the Dallas Cowboys. I think this is a really exciting matchup. Like, I I am all in on so many pieces. I want to start from Arizona. It was lovely to see Kenyon Drake. Yes, of course, the matchup had something to do with it, but it was lovely to see Kenyon Drake hold on to the momentum that he had established the previous week. It was lovely to see Christian Kirk continue to build. I mean, Christian Kirk, to me, I've met him a couple of times, and I really loved him coming out of college. I loved his tape, and we all believed that he was going to be the the heir to Larry Fitzgerald's slot throne, right? And maybe discounted his physicality and ability on the outside because of his size. And yet it's wonderful to see him excelling. Volume is not huge, but it was great to see as the broadcasting team mentioned a couple of times, this Cardinals offense play with tweak. I don't want to say play with themselves. I was stopped myself, but like tweak the different pieces of this offense and discover and and experiment throughout the game, which is something we don't like often get treated to. They it's funny. Dallas is so bad that the the Cardinals left like two touchdowns on the table. Like they left points on the table in that game. They took some deep shots really early to Andy Isabella that were just they were just missed that like those definitely could have hit like it was fun. And Christian, you mentioned Christian Kirk. The catch he made on the long touchdown did not get enough credit on the broadcast. I thought like it was a good throw, but he had to reach um, and it was like a fingertip catch. And he should have lost his balance. I'm not sure how he didn't. I'm not sure how he managed to catch that without diving and face planning. Like it was a that was a hell of a play. Um, he's good. You you mentioned it. He's he's not actually getting a ton of targets. He's averaging less than five targets on the season. But that might not. Well, first of all, that there might be more there against Seattle because this should be just a back and forth absolute shootout of a game. Yes. Um, and it and it just it just might not matter because Seattle has given up so much to opposing wide receivers. Like even having had their buy, they they have allowed on the season over like they've given up the most yards and most receiving yards to opposing wideouts by like over 150. And they and they've already had their buy. Like that's just like raw yardage. So there's a huge opportunity here, not just for Hopkins, but for Kirk, for Isabella. Um, this could easily be like a 38, 35 sort of game. I, I can't wait for it. You're totally right. I'm glad that this is the Sunday nighter. I'm glad that this is an island game. This is going to be really fun. Over under is 56 on this one per bet MGM currently. And you're right. Uh, Seattle is averaging 
over 376 receiving yards. They're giving up an average of over 376 receiving yards per game. We love that because it means that Russ is going to keep cooking too. And we love to see Russ in the kitchen. My goodness, (laughs) keep it going. DK Metcalf, like set the Twitter world on fire, right? He's everybody's wide receiver one. We still like Tyler. I'm still playing Tyler Lockett in this one. I don't care, especially with the ping pong carnival type quality that this, of the potential of this matchup. Um, I will say that like Tyler Lockett's end zone appeal like might be or his red zone appeal like it might be it might come down a little bit because obviously Russell Wilson is one of the most electric rushing quarterbacks and he's in good company in this matchup right with Kyler Murray and um, and DK Metcalf has just been absolutely becoming and evolving beyond the go route specialist that we anticipate or not we but like that the many scouts just kind of wrote him off to be that that would be his ceiling so I think Lockett, like you're going to have to worry about the touchdowns are going to come down and they were probably inflated last year now that I'm thinking about it because Doug Baldwin had that early retirement. And so Lockett like moved into that role earlier in the season. But that doesn't mean that he's not still an absolute technician who can smoke after the catch and put up yardage. I also got to say there's people. So um, I've seen this on Twitter and uh, did a radio interview today with ESPN Rochester where they were talking up Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown's potential impact in a month or whenever on Seattle, if he ever lands there, uh, because there was the Schefter report. Never mind that, you know, like the same report was out there in like August and September. Like he's been linked to Seattle for a while. This isn't this isn't new. But people got so excited about that, that I'm fielding questions about whether Tyler Lockett's um, fantasy appeal is about to crash and whether I should deal him. Like, I mean, first of all, Russell Wilson can support like four viable wide receivers right now. Um, He's he's great. Like Brown wouldn't be Brown wouldn't crush the value of DK Metcalf, who's like a top three fantasy receiver and certainly wouldn't crush the value of Tyler Lockett, who is absolutely great and has mind meld with uh, with Wilson. Like it would all be fine. So this is a long way of saying that I think both Metcalf and especially Lockett are potential trade targets right now. And I can just tell you because I've heard their complaints. People are worried. Oh, I love that. We should end. I mean, be th- that nugget and the crescendo of this game closing out <laughs> Sunday night should be where we end. But nah, we got to wake up with a hangover and head over to Los Angeles because they're hosting the Bears. I should be more excited about this game. This is yeah. kind of a losable, but but, but <laughs> it's hard to get up for after Seattle at Arizona. Um, Yeah, I mean, I... I, I think that probably Kyle Allen has a shot to like outproduce Jared Goff this week. Like if I was asked for another bold prediction, I talked about Kyle and I think that he would be the, that Goff would be the player that I would like look to see um, Allen bumping ahead of unsurprisingly in my, in my, um in my rankings. Chicago's defense is obviously amazing. Nick Foles isn't throwing the ball a ton. Jimmy Graham remains like, Another tight end stream, we talked about it a lot last week. He didn't find the end zone last week. Instead, it was Cole Komet, but he did see something like eight targets, which was his highest of the season. So keep him in play. He's uh, obviously a tight end one um, and not he's owned in under 60 percent or I'm sorry, rostered in under 60 percent of Yahoo leagues. Otherwise, when we're looking at the fantasy pieces here, it becomes a bit of a headache. Yeah, these are legit, very good defenses with um, like 
top shelf defensive playmakers. The, the these these two teams rank uh, second and third in the NFL in terms of fewest yards per pass attempt allowed. Like they're just, I mean, they're just really good. There's not there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for anybody here. We learned a little something about the Rams backfield. I thought last week, like Henderson held onto it pretty much fully split snaps roughly with Malcolm Brown. But the important thing was we, there, there was no cam makers like cam makers mm-hmm. wasn't really a part of it. I would be very surprised if if cam makers basically off of um, having no involvement has a ton of involvement in a Monday night game against a great defense. I doubt that's going to happen. So go ahead and roll with Henderson because the touches are going to be there. I think I think David Montgomery, while never being an exciting start, is a is a viable start here because he's getting he's getting targets in the in the passing game now. It's 19 or 20 targets, I think, over his last three weeks. So without Tariq Cohen, there's there's always a little bit of pass volume there. So that's going to help support his value a little bit. I get a lot of questions about Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Which of these two Rams receivers to start? Who am I prioritizing? And for so long, the narrative was obviously that Cooper Cup and Jared Goff had this mind meld connection, right? That Jared Goff loved to trust and and pepper Cooper Cup, especially in the red area of the field. And I always resisted that because trends change, right? Schemes change. Like this is all an ecosystem and it's all generally related. And something that you have always preached that I have remembered is that talent is the tiebreaker. And I believe Robert Woods to be a more talented, especially if we're looking at versatility player and he can do more things. And you're seeing that, right? You're seeing him be used out of the backfield. You're seeing him run in touchdowns. You're seeing him. We knew previously that he could work outside and move into the slot. And I think that maneuverability is what is keeping his fantasy stock buoyed. I do think it's likely he finds um, a touchdown, even if volume isn't leaning his way and, when you look at the matchup and recognize that it's quite difficult, but like it would not surprise me to see Robert Woods yet again, save his fantasy day with a touchdown. Not that that's particularly comforting to anyone starting him, but you know, if you're, if you're breaking ties, I'm leaning towards Woods. Yeah. Those guys have both been so dependent on yards after the catch and they've been great. Like they're near the top of the league in that category, but, but Goff, um, we, I feel like maybe we talk about it every week, but he's, he's at the absolute bottom of the quarterback pool in terms of intended air yards. It's still like it's still less than six per pass attempt. Like, I mean, it's nothing. And Robert Woods is doing, you know, 90 percent of his damage after the catch. He gets targeted so often at the line of scrimmage behind the line of scrimmage. And it hasn't been that much deeper for Cup. So um, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be there in abundance against a really, really good Bears defense and aggressive Bears defense, maybe. But like. The fact that Woods is always going to get two or three carries and they're not afraid to give him carries near the goal line, like it doesn't matter what area of the field it is, like they will give him a handful of carries. That helps him out in no small way. Looking ahead to Sunday, we got to make some nutty predictions thanks to planters. What, my friend, Mr. Barons, is your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's games? Okay, I I know that uh, I have doomed almost every player that I have hyped in any bold prediction segment. Uh, whether published or or on this podcast um, all season, I swear I'm going to get this one right. I'm picking this one because there's no way this one fails. And it is Justin Jackson as an RB1. He's facing the Jacksonville defense. Jacksonville is number 28 in run defense on the season. They can't stop anything. They can't stop the pass. They can't stop the run. Jackson absolutely surged past Josh Kelly uh, a couple weeks ago. 
outsnapped him by a ton, outtouched him 20 to 12, outgained him by over 50 total yards. He's active as a receiver. He's averaged almost five yards per carry for his career. This is a good running back in a spectacular matchup. I think he gives us 100 yards and a touchdown, finishes as a top 12 fantasy running back. I dig it, Andy, and I hope you're right. My bold prediction (laughs) is about Tim Patrick, undrafted out of Utah. You know I love a good underdog. The six foot four and 208 pound wideout has brought trademark physicality and just enough underdog grit. There it is. You know I had to mention it to the Broncos receiving core. He is leading this team in targets 15 over the last two weeks. He has either scored or cleared 100 yards or both in three consecutive efforts. It's worth noting that his 100-yard and scoring effort in Week 6 came versus New England and in the primary coverage of one Stefan Gilmore. Dude is legit. He's the wide receiver one. We know Drew Locke is going to be chasing points in a game against Kansas City. Ironically, fun fact, Tim Patrick managed his first career score while facing the Chiefs back in 2018. So this is good juju. Fire up Tim Mm. Patrick. Those were some pretty nutty predictions right there. What can you say? We're a bit nuts. Thanks again to Planters, and we remind you at home or wherever you are, stay satisfied with Planters. All right, Fantasy Football Live. It is coming again, like it does every week, 90 minutes before kickoff. Are you excited about any new segments, Andy? Oh, I am excited about a new segment, actually. Um, no Fantasy be. Court this week. We're, we're bringing in... Uh, uh, a win place or show segment. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it means no, no fantasy court, at least for a week. So um, I'll, I'll have to just like keep the wig on my lap, pet it throughout the show. Oh, your comfort animal. Sure thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Be sure to check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. Andy mentioned it earlier in the show. I like to listen as well. You can also check out the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters and Matt and I will be back for the week seven. How are we here? Oh my gosh. It actually feels like seven years now. We recap on Monday morning. <laughs>